Good day and welcome to the Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. In our first story, we're going to address something that a lot of people have been talking about in our area, and that is burying the power lines. It's extremely expensive, takes a long time, and so has not been on the plan to be completed. However, that has just changed. Many of you are PG&E customers, and in your latest bill, you'll probably see an insert that says they are now going to be doing undergrounding, and the cost will be exorbitant. The rate hikes expected for PG&E residential electric customers are 18%, almost a hike of one-fifth. It says here in the insert that a typical residential electric customer using 500 kilowatt hours a month would see their bills jump from $138 to $164 as a result of this. Well, as a Northern California wildfire crosses into Nevada, prompting new evacuations, but better weather has been helping crews battle the nation's largest blaze in Southern Oregon, PG&E, the major California utility provider, has just announced yesterday a multi-billion dollar effort to bury 10,000 miles of its power lines after its electrical equipment was once again blamed for igniting a new, separate, fast-growing fire in the state's northeast. Pacific Gas and Electric, the state's largest utility provider and the largest utility in the country, recently informed state regulators that the Dixie Fire was sparked after a 70-foot-tall pine tree toppled onto one of their power lines. The state's largest electricity company has long faced criticism over its equipment's role in sparking devastating blazes year after year, including the 2018 campfire that killed more than 80 people and destroyed thousands of homes in and around the town of Paradise. While the daunting project of burying power lines aims to bury about 10% of PG&E's total distribution and transmission lines at a projected cost of anywhere from 15 to $30 billion, based on how much the process currently cost. Previous PG&E regimes have staunchly resisted plans to bury long stretches of power lines because of the expense involved, but the company's recently hired new CEO, Patricia Patty Pop, said on Wednesday that she had quickly realized after she joined PG&E this January that moving lines underground was the best way to protect both the utility and the 16 million people who rely on it for power. Pop told reporters, it's too expensive not to do it. Lives are on the line. PG&E would only say that burying 10% of their lines would indeed take several years. And on the subject of wildfires and the nexus of climate and solar systems being harmed by wildfires and smoke, a new report has warned from the insurance side of things that the solar industry could expect to lose millions of dollars this year if they don't act quickly. It's according to a new report from GC Cube Underwriting Limited. The report is called Hail or High Water which analyzed a decade of solar industry insurance claims. It found that when you look at solar damage claims due to extreme weather, extreme weather is 
hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, wind, hail, wildfire, that 50% of all solar damage claims for extreme weather were just from wildfire. G-Cube estimated that wildfires alone have cost the solar industry in the last decade tens of millions of dollars in both losses of damages to equipment and also lost output that is usually guaranteed in large solar project contracts. While wildfires are growing in size, severity, and frequency across the western U.S., and it's now more likely than ever that they will spread out of control and pose a risk to the major solar assets and solar systems that are being installed across California. Additionally, given current supply chain difficulties, they're discovering that damaged solar panels are taking much longer to be repaired or replaced, forcing entire arrays out of commission for sometimes months after the initial heat wave or fire has passed. As a result, just like homeowners are now seeing fire exclusions and fire insurance policies canceled, the insurance companies are starting to put blanket wildfire exclusions in place for solar systems across the western U.S. The same strategy was actually instituted years ago when hail was discovered to be a new major issue with solar systems. In 2017, a massive severe hailstorm damaged 400,000 solar panels creating a one-time insurance claim of $70 million. Well, insurers are saying that this year is going to be horrible for the solar industry unless they quickly deploy monitoring and data in order to see on a case-by-case and site-by-site basis which solar locations are most at risk from fire damages. If they don't ramp up monitoring and data collection in the coming months, the report warns the solar industry could lose millions of dollars. In another news study, this one looks at the difference in men versus women on their purchasing habits and the impact on climate emissions. This study finds that men cause more climate emissions than women. It says here, according to this study, that men's spending on goods causes 16% more climate heating emissions than women's, despite the sum of money being very similar. The biggest difference was men's spending on gas and diesel for their cars, trucks, engines, and motors. The gender differences in emissions have been little studied, the researchers said, but should be recognized as we initiate action to beat the climate crisis. The analysis compared single men and single women in Sweden and found that food and vacations caused more than half of all emissions for both men and women. Food and vacations, more than half of emissions for both men and women. The scientists found that swapping meat and dairy for more plant-based foods and also switching to train-based vacations rather than using planes or cars instantly would cut people's emissions by 40%. Said Annika Carlson Kanyama at the research company Ecoloop in Sweden who led the study, we think it's important to take the difference between men and women into account in climate policymaking. The way they spend is very stereotypical. Women tend to spend more money on home decoration, health and clothes. 
And men spend more money on fuel for cars and vehicles, eating out, and alcohol and tobacco. The research, published in the Journal for Industrial Ecology, did not include fuel for work vehicles, such as taxis or plumbers' vans. Previous research did find, however, that in families with only one car, men used it more often to go to work, with women more likely to use public transportation. When it comes to vacations, vacationing accounted for about a third of emissions for both the men and women. Said Carlson Kanyama, that is a lot more than I expected. They used data for single people because figures for individuals living in families were not available. Well, the simple changes to diet and vacations, more plants, more trains, less meat, less cars and planes, these changes to reduce personal emissions were chosen because they do not require extra spending, such as buying an electric car. She said there are, these are substantial changes, of course, but at least you don't need to get yourself another job or borrow money from the bank. So it's something within reach here and now. You just use the same money you have and buy something else. A study in 2017 found that the three greatest impacts individuals can have in fighting climate change is to have one fewer child, followed by not using a car, and avoiding flying. Studies in 2010 and 2012 showed that men spent more on energy and ate more meat than women, both of which cause higher emissions. But Carlson Kanyama said, I'm surprised more studies have not been done about the gender differences in environmental impact. There are quite clear differences and they are not likely to go away in the near future. Just last week, the European Union's Green Deal was criticized for failing to include the intersection between gender and the environment. Austria's climate minister said the climate crisis is one of the key challenges of our time and affects men and women quite differently. For instance, the majority of people worldwide impacted by energy poverty are women. It is therefore crucial to take gender differences into the equation if we want to develop solutions and a transformation that works for everyone. The spending data in the analysis was noted to be from 2012, but that was the latest available. Researcher Carlson Kanyama said it was unlikely to have changed sufficiently today to alter the overall conclusions. Well, next, while we did talk about the ability to switch to trains and the ability to switch to more plant-based foods, there clearly is still going to be some air travel. And another new study is suggesting ways to improve our impact as individuals when we fly. U.S. domestic travelers could potentially choose lower emission flights if data was available. It says commercial flying is a real carbon bomb as emissions from commercial aviation are growing rapidly and are on track to triple by 2050 when they could make up about a quarter of the planet's entire global carbon budget. But now a new study shows how people could reduce their emissions while still flying on airplanes if they were able to choose the most carbon-friendly routes. The research paper looked at potential ways to reduce the burden of flying on the planet. 
researchers at the International Council on Clean Transportation analyzed the carbon footprints of the 20 most popular U.S. domestic plane routes in 2019. So these are just the flights staying within the U.S. In 2019, what were the 20 most popular routes of domestic airplane flights? And it finds that on average, is what they did is they looked at these 20 different popular routes and they figured out what was the most emissions emitting route and then the least emissions emitting route and then what was the average. And they found that the least emitting itinerary for any given route between two cities, the least emitting itinerary, can emit 63% less carbon dioxide than the most emitting option, two-thirds less. And that when you compare the least emitting flight to the average, it's 22% less. The authors write, the wide emissions gaps in flight choices point to potentially significant climate benefits in encouraging consumers to choose the lowest emitting flights. The problem is that it's not always easy to identify which routes create the fewest emissions. Well, here are some important things to keep in mind. In general, flying direct and on newer aircraft can help a consumer choose less emitting flights, flying direct and on newer aircraft. But not always, the researchers say. Other variables, including load factor and seating configuration, also affect the carbon intensity of a trip on an airplane. For example, single aisle, Mainline aircraft and turboprops generally have lower emissions than regional jets, although relative airline fuel efficiency performance varies across routes. And while some airline carriers are more fuel efficient than others, the paper shows that no single airline operates low-emitting flights on all of their routes, at least in 2019. The researchers say that Reporting emissions by itinerary would therefore help guide consumer decisions. And most importantly, lower carbon airplane flights don't have to mean more expensive. On three quarters of these most popular routes, 75% of these routes, 15 out of 20, the least emitting flight was also one of the cheapest. And they said that based on their analysis, a consumer could immediately reduce their emissions by up to 55% by simply choosing a ticket from within the cheapest 25% of fares. Just buy a ticket from the bottom 25% cheapest fares, you'll likely reduce your emissions by half. But these choices could force the flying public to part with their preferred air carrier brand. Choosing the least emitting itinerary can be challenging for people who fly with a single carrier. Some travel search engines, like Google Flights, Kayak, and Skyscanner, have introduced EcoFlight filters into their platforms, which will label your flights as being lower than average emissions among all their search results but they won't show the absolute CO2 emissions for each itinerary quantified as a number. They just label if a flight has lower than average emissions. That's Google Flights, Kayak, and Skyscanner. That's why the researchers say making emissions data public would help consumers make informed decisions when buying flights. 
The researchers conclude by saying that flight-level emissions data is key to empowering consumers to reward those aircraft carriers that invest in fuel efficiency and more sustainable aviation fuels. Policymakers could help by requiring airlines disclose emissions by flight and then also requiring audits to ensure the accuracy of those numbers. The researchers write, once in place, climate-informed consumer choices could accelerate the decarbonization of air travel as airlines see a payoff in offering more low-emitting options. You're listening to The Climate Report on KVMR-FM. Well, with this week's news of Jeff Bezos doing his suborbital launch, as well as Richard Branson doing his last week, there is some talk to be had about the emissions from all these rockets and the impact on the climate. This is an article out of The Guardian saying how the billionaire space race could be one giant leap for pollution. Last week, Virgin Galactic took Richard Branson past the edge of space, roughly 86 kilometers up, part of a new space race with the Amazon billionaire Jeff Bezos, who made a similar journey on Tuesday. Both very wealthy businessmen hope to vastly expand the number of people in space. Said Branson shortly after his flight, we're here to make space more accessible to all. Welcome to the dawn of a new space age. Well, already people are buying tickets to space. Companies, including SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, and Space Adventures, want to make space tourism more common. But this launch of a new private space industry that is cultivating tourism and popular use could come with vast environmental costs, says Eloise Marais. She's an associate professor of physical geography at University College London, and Marais studies the impact of fuels and industries on the atmosphere. When rockets launch into space, they require a huge amount of propellants to make it out of the Earth's atmosphere. For SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket, it's kerosene. And for NASA, it is liquid hydrogen in their new space launch system. Well, those fuels emit a variety of substances into the atmosphere, including carbon dioxide, water, chlorine, and other chemicals. Now, Murray says that the carbon emissions from rockets right now are small compared with the aircraft industry, but they are increasing at nearly 6% every year. And Murray has been running a simulation for a decade to figure out at what point will they compete with traditional sources we are familiar with. Says Murray, for one long-haul plane flight, it's one to three tons of carbon dioxide per passenger could be one ton of carbon dioxide per passenger on the bottom end. For one rocket launch, it's 200 to 300 tons of carbon dioxide are split between four or so passengers, according to Murray. So it really doesn't need to grow that much more to compete with other sources. Right now, the number of rocket flights is very small. In the whole of 2020, for instance, there were 114 attempted orbital launches in the world, according to NASA. That's still more than two every single week. That compares with the airline industry's more than 100,000 flights every single day on average. But emissions from rockets are emitted right into the upper atmosphere, which means they stay there for a long time, years. Even water injected into the upper atmosphere where it can form clouds can have warming impacts, 
Says Murray, even something as seemingly innocuous as water vapor can have an impact to us. Well, wrote uh, Jessica Dallas. She's a senior policy advisor at the New Zealand Space Agency in an analysis of research on space launch missions just published last year. She said, while there are a number of environmental impacts resulting from the launch of space vehicles, the depletion of stratospheric ozone is the most studied and most immediately concerning. Another report from 2019 penned by the Center for Space Policy and Strategy says that rocket engine exhaust emitted into the stratosphere during ascent to orbit adversely impacts the global atmosphere. Well, researcher Murray says, we just don't know how large the space tourism industry could become. A new market report estimates that the global suborbital transportation and space tourism market is estimated to grow at 17% a year for the next decade. People have pointed out that the money these billionaires have poured into space technology could be invested in making life better on our planet, where wildfires, heat waves, and other climate disasters are becoming more frequent as the globe warms up in the climate crisis. Murray says there are currently no international rules around the kinds of fuels used in our atmosphere and their impact on the environment. She says, we have no regulations currently around rocket emissions. The time to act is now, while the billionaires are still buying their tickets. Well, in our last segment with tonight's climate report, we're going to talk about something interesting that people might not be aware of when it comes to political solutions out of Washington, D.C. for the climate and the future of life on the planet. Because The most powerful political force when it comes to slowing action on climate change isn't the GOP or even a Republican. And the person in charge of the failure or success of the the future of U.S. climate policy is a guy named Joe, a Democrat, but not the one you think. We're going to close with an article written by Alex Koch. He's an investigative reporter and editor with the Center for Media and Democracy, a nationally recognized watchdog that leads award-winning investigations into the corruption that undermines democracy, the environment, and economic prosperity. This article was produced in partnership with the Center for Media and Democracy. It starts off by saying, As thousand-year heat waves caused by the climate crisis rock the West Coast, and biblical floods engulf major cities. Senate Democrats are negotiating a $3.5 trillion budget package that could include an attempt to slow the use of fossil fuels over the next decade. One prominent senator, however, is very concerned about proposals to scale back oil, gas, and coal. He recently argued that those who want to get rid of fossil fuels are wrong. He claimed eliminating fossil fuels won't help fight global warming against all evidence. He says, if anything, it would be worse. Which right-wing Republican uttered these false climate crisis-denying words? Wrong question. The speaker was a Democrat. 
Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. West Virginia is a major coal-producing state, but Manchin's investment in dirty energy goes far beyond just the economic interests of the voters who elect him every six years. In fact, selling coal and digging up coal has made Manchin and his family very wealthy. He even founded a private coal brokerage in 1988 and still owns a big stake in the company which his son currently runs. As a matter of fact, last year in 2020 alone, Manchin raked in almost a half a million dollars of income from selling coal. And he owns as much as $5 million worth of stock in the company, according to his most recent financial disclosure required by law. Despite this clear conflict of interest, Manchin chairs the influential Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which has jurisdiction over coal production, coal distribution, coal research and development, coal conversion, and the committee also has jurisdiction over global climate change. Well, Manchin, who chairs that committee, is one of many members of Congress who are personally invested in the fossil fuel industry. Dozens of Congress members hold Exxon stock, but he is among the biggest profiters. As of late 2019, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin had more money invested in dirty energy than any other U.S. senator in Congress of any party. How can this be? Wouldn't basic ethics prevent someone from being in charge of legislation that could clearly materially benefit them? Unfortunately, conflict of interest rules in the Senate are remarkably weak. And guess who is seeking to strip new conflict of interest rules from the recent democracy voting reform bill? Joe Manchin. Manchin, the most conservative Democrat in the Senate, has used the evenly split chamber to actually block Joe Biden's agenda, especially on the climate. In the process, he has become arguably the most powerful person in Washington. Hardly any Democratic legislation can pass without his approval. Well, that's a problem, especially given that Manchin sometimes seems like he's actually an honorary Republican. Earlier just this month, the Texas Tribune and other publications reported that West Virginia's Manchin was heading to Texas for a fundraiser hosted by several major Republican donors, including oil billionaires. Because of his uniquely powerful position as a swing vote, Manchin can rewrite major legislation to his liking, effectively dictating the legislative agendas of Congress and the White House. It appears that Manchin will have his way with the White House's infrastructure package as well, and his changes that he's demanding will be more devastating given the climate emergency we live in. Well, Manchin's political campaigns are fueled by the dirty energy industry. Over the past decade alone, his election campaigns have received money from dishonest oil giant Exxon's lobbyists, its corporate political action committee, and the lobbying firms that Exxon works with. A top Exxon lobbyist recently bragged about his access to Manchin. In the 2018 election cycle, Manchin's most recent, when he was re-elected, 
His campaign got more money from mining, oil, and gas than any other Senate Democrat that cycle. If Biden wants to have any kind of climate legacy, he needs to stand up to Manchin, a member of his own party, and work with the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to get him in line. Biden permits the West Virginian to dictate his own presidential policy agenda. But what is crystal clear is that the leader of the United States should be doing a whole lot more. That's an article written by Alex Koch, an investigative reporter and editor with the Center for Media and Democracy. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's news, you can find the Climate Report page on Facebook. Feel free to also email climatereport at kvmr.org and visit the podcast page for archive shows. Stay tuned for more great programming on KVMR-FM.